At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella and we're here to World Messenger and inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leadership. And today's guest is joining me from Houston, Texas. And he is definitely someone you guys don't want to miss opportunity to listen into, connect, and learn from. He is a head of learning development of hospital Harris Health System where he is focusing so much on all of the hot topics we're seeing today. Topics around acquiring, engaging uh, talent, as well as finding ways to improve healthcare system and so much more. Focusing on his patients, focusing also on, on not only trends, but also focusing where they're headed and what they need to do to adjust and be game changers and continue in that trajectory in the uh, future. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Gary Marsh. Gary, welcome. Thank you, thank you for having me. Absolutely, thank you for the opportunity to be here with us on Legacy Leader Show, because you are obviously doing some big leaps and bounds with your not only current position, but everything that you do with volunteering, with bringing communities together and making tremendous change and difference. So I just cannot wait for others to hear what is possible when um, you connect passion and talent together and make magic happen. So Gary, do you mind before we go into your current situation, share a little bit, how did you even get, first of all, in HR or just in, 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 in this particular sphere and industry, because you have a very fascinating background. You're also a lawyer, and you also are very much so into um, human capacity and human nature. So do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I don't know if your audience has um, as much time as we need to cover the journey, but uh, I'll take a, take a stab at it. So um, I am a um, lawyer by training. Um, as I went through my uh, educational matriculation undergrad into law school, I originally thought that I was destined to be a trial attorney. And so I went to work out of law school for a small trial firm in the New Orleans area. And I think about a year into it, I really figured that it was not what I thought it was. It was a lot of long hours with um, not a lot of... Um, thankfulness taking place, and I got a bit disillusioned, and so I relocated back to Houston, which was home, and I started to dabble in um, other areas of, of legal work. Um, I also started to do some work on the sports and entertainment uh, side of things, which was less legal, more, um, you know, contracts and things of that nature, um, and, and so overall, I think early on in my career, I really saw that I wanted something that was a bit more dynamic. Um, I worked very well with people, and yet I saw that a lot of the work I was doing on the legal side was very um, static and, um, you know, based upon 
the old case law and statute and things like that that didn't change very often and um it just bored me and um i wish i would have known that a little bit sooner because maybe that would have saved me you know several thousand dollars of uh, the law school bill but nonetheless um i i ultimately ended up stumbling across an opportunity to go work for a small consulting firm and uh, they specialized in i guess what would be called staffing and, and consulting uh, work for a lot of uh, industries here locally to Houston. And um, I got, got a chance to work with a couple of gentlemen that kind of taught me the business. And I realized that I really enjoyed the opportunity to work with people very closely, both from a uh, what would we call a traditional candidate perspective, learning about people's skill sets and their desires, what it was that they were really interested in in terms of that next opportunity. And then I also had the opportunity to work very closely with um, a lot of our hiring community across um, a myriad of industries, engineering, oil and gas, uh, healthcare, things like that. And so those were things that put me in a position where I was consistently having to learn. And so I realized at that time that I did like learning. I did like the notion of showing up to work every day. Um, with an opportunity to continually grow my my um, skill set in terms of my knowledge for different industries and things that were going on. And so I think at that point, I decided that I wouldn't go back into the legal practice, that I would continue to see um, how far I could get. And so after a few other engagements, I really realized that uh, the HR side of the house was was where I saw myself uh, able to have the greatest impact, and probably been 20 years later, I'm I'm still at it. And so, from a practitioner perspective, I would say that I have really honed my skill set around talent, around talent development, a lot of the different processes that allow us to take a look at an individual and see not only their motivations, but really trying to help them to get from current state to future state. And being able to do that in an organizational capacity, so whether it's for an individual, whether it's for a team, department, the organization as a whole, uh, really having an opportunity to put together things that are going to offer those sorts of um, insights holistically so that people that come to work for my organization or other organizations are certainly going to feel uh, better equipped to be able to navigate their careers than just um, submitting a resume in the dark and hoping that somebody takes notes. So that's that's sort of what's got me here and, and I guess to a certain degree, what's kept me here. That is an amazing journey. And seems like a lot of, uh, just, it seems like everybody kind of go through that in some ways and shape this self-discovery, right? What we intend to think that we want, what what we're really good at or, or what we're passionate about. And unfortunately, a lot of programs don't help us out to understand early on uh, what environment we're getting into and if opportunity to either have our internship or opportunity to practice. And since a lot of things changing with workforce in terms of that, um, selecting not only early on from self-discovery, what major or degree you wanted to go a profession, but also opportunity to truly, really understand through different tests and personality assessments, uh, what really is best suited for you? Would you say that uh, some of those tools could be very helpful? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think one of the things that I see even today is that 
in my organization, we have lots of individuals who maybe have hired into a particular role uh, that allowed them to get into the organization. And somewhere down the track, just like me, uh, in a previous life, you get a little bit bored or disengaged. And you don't necessarily want to leave the organization, but you do want opportunities to do something different. And there's no real manual or playbook that says, okay, well, this is how you put this job down and move into this other job. And so they just sort of haphazardly go about applying to roles, hoping that someone might take note. And normally that doesn't happen. And so what we've been able to do is really provide more of what I call true career advisement, making sure that um, our internal team members have a, have a, a place to go, someone to sit down and talk to about their aspirations, talk about the why. You know, I think what's often missed is when people say, I want to move into this kind of role. And no one really takes the time to ask them why. And what we've seen is that when we do ask the question why and what do they hope to accomplish there, it gives us a little bit more insight as to how best to be able to assist because sometimes the expectations are spot on. But many times they're they're not nearly as in sync as they they could be, and that's where we really have to get to work and start to provide a little bit more guidance to that individual in terms of what they perceive as a good next step versus what might be more of a reality. And once we're able to do that, we notice that a light bulb tends to come on. Because people are, in essence, saying, wow, I didn't really even think of those things, and this is really useful to help me from wasting another 12 to 18 months going in a direction that may not pan out for me. And so that's really where I think we, we focus and try to bring a lot of value daily to people that we talk to internally that are saying they want to find another opportunity. I love also how you obviously experience a lot of those things firsthand yourself and you're speaking from experience uh, and which is brilliant, which also shares how resilient, uh, adaptable and willing for change you are. And we're right now seeing those three traits missing so much, not only in individual capacity, but also in terms of team and in terms of overall organization. And you were doing something amazing in your current role, obviously being head of the learning development, uh, being lifelong learner yourself and helping others to continue to learn and progress and understand not only why, but also the, the future path forward, right? Do you mind sharing what are you doing so beautifully different than many of competitors in healthcare space specifically? Because we know the shortage of great stuff it's happening, that's competition very high, specifically in area where you are, uh, and you are still yet navigating this so effectively. Um, do you mind sharing some of those key elements that you see from your leadership perspective? Um. Sure, and so I won't I won't um, take too much credit for what I've done or you know what others may not be doing. But what I will say is, where we have focused, and I think um, somewhat successfully, is really trying to first and foremost create a an environment where our employees actually trust processes. So whether it's um, how they're screened, how they're evaluated what opportunities that they may be given. We want those things to be done out in the open. 
we want there to be a sense that if I engage in this process, the outcomes are not sort of set against me, that there is an opportunity for me to, to succeed and thrive in this. And so we, you know, a few years back, we went to more of an open style performance evaluation process. Um, this was an opportunity for leaders to spend time at a minimum on a quarterly basis with their team members having open dialogue around goals and objectives, uh, career things that uh, that employee wanted to have done. Uh, maybe there was some upskilling or training that would be discussed. And so that throughout the year, there was enough feedback being given to help that employee either continue on the current trajectory or course correct in enough time so that they could say by the end of the evaluation cycle, there were things that had been done that allowed them to perform well for that period. And what we heard prior to that so often was that employees would just show up to their evaluation with no real hope because there was always this sense of, well, my manager is going to score me the way they see me anyway, so why bother? And so they weren't engaged in the process. There was no real connectivity between the leader and the staff member in terms of not only getting things accomplished, but growing and developing to ensure that that person stayed productive and engaged. And so that's been a real win for us to help there be a more connective process between leader and staff member. And then the second thing that I think that we've been able to do because of that is now we have been able to really spend a lot of time emphasizing the fact that, hey, because we have begun to really develop our internal team members, let's have more of a look inside first approach to hiring. And so I think we looked a couple of years ago and of all of the vacancies that we would fill, probably only about three out of 10 were from internal staff members. And so we were having to go outside and fill seven out of 10 jobs through external talent. And so pre-COVID, you know, that was okay because we could, we could ultimately do that. But since COVID came around, everyone's aware, uh, if you were in healthcare, there were a lot of things that really drove a lot of people away from working in the industry. And so we saw that the talent pools that we would generally fish from uh, were, were smaller. We also saw that there were a lot of people who we had already working for us were, were also leaving. And so it gave us a lot less to work from. And so our vacancies stayed open longer and we had to use a lot more resources for contract staff, uh, which certainly isn't sustainable beyond a certain point. And so uh, we made the decision to really emphasize developing our internal talent uh, in greater ways so that we didn't have to spend so much time looking elsewhere. And, it, and it's not an easy process because it's, um, it's challenging. There's a lot of work that has to go into it to take someone who is a, you know, maybe a service level employee who might work in a, the parking garage or work in one of our kitchens and to then help train or upskill them into an area where they're now going to be a clinician who works closely with patients uh, does require a lot of time and commitment. And, uh, and, and that's sometimes uh, daunting, certainly for someone who may have obligations at home, someone who may not have all of the time to do a lot of um, you know, traditional educational things. And so ultimately, we've 
also tried to enable those processes so that they can do micro learnings and hands-on skill development on site over time that would allow them to at least be someone that would be considered. And so ultimately, uh, we've had more of an emphasis on looking inside first to create more internal movement to give us better opportunities to not only fill those vacancies, but to keep a lot of our existing staff engaged so that we also lessen the turnover that we've had. Such a complex environment uh, and so much uh, great accomplishments um, to make uh, things work. And also not only for organization, but also for your clients, um, your patients that you serve. And I, I like how you walk us through also what happened and how you guys quickly were able to adjust um, because everybody in so many ways had to do the similar thing but not everybody executed on that effectively. And that's reflection also of a great leadership and great culture. So what would you say um, a great culture for you, for environment that you build there, um, it's, it's, it's contributor to the current state because obviously so many hospitals tried or, or, or to accomplish similar environment in similar environments, different things. And it's not about who failed, who, who succeeded, but I always feel like it's so much more to that um, opportunity where why someone is, as you said, you've been in entertainment, why someone is that all-star player? Why is this someone uh, being at the top um, performer or whatever? Um, and how that differentiate also ultimately, how that everything looks like and as an end result. You know, I would, I would say one of the things that we really lean on from a cultural perspective is uh, we like to think of ourselves as being a big family, um, whether it's our new employees that come in every couple of weeks during uh, orientation to lots of our staff and leadership development sessions. Most things that we do are really centered around family. They're centered around a culture of love. Our our leadership development curriculum is called Leading with Love. We do a lot of things that really emphasize this notion that you are part of a greater whole, but we're all part of things together. And, and even, even as we do things like meet with employees who um, are rehiring into the organization, maybe they've left and then they've determined to come back. Well, of course, we want to know like, hey, you know, we're sorry that you left. We're certainly glad that you came back. What was the main reason for it? And I'd say at least 75% of the time, they said because they really enjoyed the notion of the family environment. They loved the people that they work with. They loved the patients that they serve. And so they wouldn't want to do the job anywhere else. And that's always really something that we feel very good about and we continue to promote. Um, and in a, in a smaller sense, I would say the other thing that we are now spending more time on, and I think it's certainly not um, just peculiar to us, is, is uh, trying to create what we would call as psychological safety within our hallways and within the departments. Um, because we know that people have gone through so much, we know that there's all sorts of things that are taking place, and we want people to not only feel they're part of a family, but that they can speak up and that they can speak up without fear of 
recrimination or some sort of retaliation from someone, uh, whether it's a, a coworker or a supervisor, and that all opinions are valued. And that we think also creates this sense that, you know what, we're a family, we can have a family meeting, we can have discussions and dialogue. We don't always have to agree, but we certainly are always thinking about what are we going to do to make sure that the patient uh, in our environment is, is top of mind and all of our solutions should be moved in that direction. And so um, that, that's been our focus here as of late. And that's certainly, I think, helping us to continue the notion of family first, but also moving in a way where that same family feels comfortable around one another to be able to communicate effectively. That's fantastic. And I love that you mentioned psychological safety for everyone, specifically for staff, because um, we're seeing unprecedented, unprecedented amount of issues, obviously, uh, with pressure, stressor, expectations, not only at work, but in, uh, in real life, right? And in addition to um, a lot of mental health issues and many other symptoms that we do not have chance to exhibit to this level, uh, and it's so important, not only how do we care, but how also we provide self-care. And um, I'm sure that you also established some amazing wellness programs. And do you mind sharing something that really you find to be extremely useful, uh, not only for uh, direct service providers, but overall um, also for the patients, for the care? Wow. So one of the things I will brag on is that uh, from a a wellness perspective, um, we are rated as one of the top wellness programs in the country uh, for organizations our size. Yeah, yeah, we've we've um, we've over the last few years been uh, one of the top five within the state of Texas. Certainly, one of the top ten within the country in a lot of categories. Um, not only do we offer a lot of things programmically for both our staff and their families. But we do a lot of things that also spill over into what we would call a real uh, community population health perspective. So we do a lot of things uh, such as we have an on-site um, uh, garden at one of our uh, major hospitals. And so the community is able to come and participate as we grow fresh food. We have a food pharmacy as we would call it. And so many of our patients after they're leaving they and their families are able to shop in the pharmacy for fresh produce, different things that are, again, going to supplement what they do, because we know many of the communities in which we serve are often in uh, what we would call food deserts, and um, a lot of them do not have access to a lot of uh, freshly grown food. And so our food uh, gardens and pharmacies are there uh, and accessible to a lot of our patients and so where they would not normally have access to things now they do and they don't have to pay for a thing we also are doing lots of programs with some of our um, providers and, and, and payer organizations where we understand that we have uh, a patient population that has a lot of chronic disease and uh, comorbidity issues and so we have really worked very hard to make sure that we align services with lots of external providers that uh, aren't going to take advantage of our population, are gonna recognize that you know, we serve often um, those most in need, those who don't always have the ability to pay 
Um, sometimes they're indigent. And so we are having service providers that are willing to come forward with things that are going to help control things like diabetes and um, uh, uh, colorectal screenings and so forth. So it puts people in a position where healthcare becomes a lot more accessible when they're not worrying about how much that they have to pay for things. And, and we've seen that that uh, often causes people to get back into more of a preventative uh, screening and maintenance lifestyle versus only showing up when things have really gone wrong and now they've got to be um, put into a hospital bed and, and we are at that point, you know, potentially at crisis level. So we do a lot of those things. And, and then uh, there are so many programs that we do for our employees as well that really try to impress upon them the need to maintain healthy lifestyles. In fact, uh, one of our more promising programs we do every year is we do a, um, a wellness program that says if you go through a certain assortment of uh, wellness check-ins, uh, annual physical, things like that, that you get a uh, $100 per month reduction on your healthcare premiums. And so normally we have at least 85 to 90% of our employee base will actually take advantage of that. And it really helps us to not only lower our overall premiums uh, from a group plan perspective, but it really, again, emphasizes that need to take care of our family internally and everybody's being a bit more healthy because they're paying attention to these things on a daily basis. Wow, first of all, kudos and congratulations. And it's showing that it's possible still to serve the community and the specific ones that are unable uh, to access obviously somewhere else, possibly healthcare, but simply just not having ability to, uh, for a wide range of reasons, as you said, as an indigent, um, um, population that really suffers to be also more proactive, being well taken care of, uh, which again, a sense of community that you build uh, with your leaders, it's astonishing. And I just wanna say uh, congratulations and stepping up and showing what's possible. Uh, but I also love what you mentioned when we deal with chronic illnesses with a lot of people that are suffering, having that education, that better, uh, meal preparation or understanding what works, what doesn't, or being more preventative to making sure that you're not building second generation of diabetics or people that are going to be um, affected as a result of it and have a poorer quality of life. Uh, it's it's a, such an amazing gift. So uh, uh, we've seen this happening year after year and stats are not always looking great but it's like, how do you get the dent uh, of that huge mass, right? And I feel like you guys are doing some amazing, amazing work there. And also what I wanna really contrast here for everybody watching and listening, how important it, as you mentioned, Gary, to really reflect uh, also how you are supporting your team members and people that are uh, those talented physicians and nurses, providing that selflessly self-care for, for themselves, but also care for others so that they can do their job better. Um, what would be your advice for other leaders and across the nation? Because obviously your results speaks, uh, speaks to itself, but when people say um, we don't know or we can't, I feel like it's more than anything attitude. I'm curious, what is your take uh, for all the ones that are either on the fence or not really uh, focusing on the right things. What would you give them as a, as a piece of advice? 
So, um, I, I guess I'd answer that like this. So, so to clarify for the audience, um, one of the things that might differentiate us at Harris Health from maybe other organizations is that as a teaching institution, we do not employ our physicians. Uh, we have affiliation agreements with some of the local medical schools, and those medical schools then are on site and embedded to be able to teach what we would call the current and next generation of healthcare providers. And so, you know, we have residents who are on site um, all day long at all of the hospitals and clinics working under the instruction of, you know, faculty from those medical schools. Um, and yet they are employed by the medical schools themselves and not by Harris Health. That being said, they work very closely with us. We have very strong partnering relationships and one of the things that we see, whether it's through the physicians, our nurses, um, you know, those in radiology and other allied health areas is it's often very difficult to take time away and to reinvest in yourself. You know, the patients are always coming. There's no sort of vacation from healthcare or a down season. And so we often see that um, burnout is a real possibility for a lot of our workforce. And um, obviously, COVID was one of those seminal events that really pushed a lot of people over the edge and caused them to actually leave the, the healthcare industry. But even beyond that, it's just the, the rigors of home life and raising families and stresses at work. And as I said, we um, often have very complex patient cases that really require a lot of attention and um, and so it's demanding. And so what we really promote with a lot of our staff and leaders is to make sure that for the healthy pay time off benefits that we provide that people be given the opportunities to actually take the time. And so um, what we saw in the past, unfortunately, was that we might have a typical nurse who maybe had accumulated well over four weeks of vacation time, but never felt quite comfortable being able to take more than a day or two at a time because maybe we were severely understaffed uh, in, in, in that nurse, nurse's particular unit. And so the leaders then, of course, putting on some undue pressure not to take too much time off. And so people feeling as if, well, I've got to be there because they don't have anyone else and you can only go full speed for so long. And so what we've tried to do more of is work with um, executive leadership to rethink that and try to be a bit more creative in terms of, um, you know, what do we want to do to be able to ensure that we are staggering a lot of our pay time off requests with our, our clinicians and doing things that ensure that people will be able to step away, take that time out to be able to reinvest in themselves, whether it's just being at home on a staycation, whether it's traveling, whether it's just sort of going outside to read a book um, every evening because they have the opportunity to do so, but really understanding that we can expect our caregivers to be at their best if they're never given that time to step away from things. And so, um, you know, we certainly haven't solved the problem, but I think that it's certainly a um, it's a greater emphasis for us, and we are spending a lot more time trying to be creative in the ways that we do our scheduling, um, uh, shift uh, management, and the whole bit, just to ensure that at some point we will 
make more meaningful progress, but at least our staff understand that it is a focus point for us and that we are um, all paying attention to it. And, uh, and the last thing I'll say about that is, you know, we really try to do the thing that says, why would we prevent someone from going out if they've been very reasonable in terms of their requests? And so most of our leaders are sort of trained to, if you've been given a PTO request, approve it unless there is some, you know, seminal reason that suggests that you couldn't at that time. And so that way we at least know that people can understand that they're going to have time off if it's three months down the road, they're going to be uh, rewarded that and they can at least start to look forward to that time to be able to step away and recharge their batteries. That is a, such an important uh, aspects of it. And, and I'm glad to hear um, how you're solving some of those complexities that we're seeing that it's prompting so many to leave or quite quit or uh, just simply look for other alternatives or change even industries because of, of uh, significant burnout. But with that in mind, uh, I'm just looking, how is everything also sh shifting from human resource perspective? And uh, if you don't mind, just to highlight a few things uh, for us, um, what do you see as a huge opportunity because of the future of the work uh, and where things are headed, specifically healthcare space? Uh, I, I really appreciate that question. So I was, um, was speaking at a conference earlier in the week, and one of the things that was of great interest was, you know, again, this notion of, hey, we've gone through the great resignation and quiet quitting and all this, and so what should we be expecting? And, and one of the things that I really tend to stress is um, the fact that we have to really adopt more of a mindset that the new workforce generations look at work very differently. So whether you're talking about a traditional millennial or Gen Z, which is now actively moving into the workforce, specifically in healthcare, um, they're not necessarily thinking about their career as I'm gonna be here for the next 15 to 20 years. They're not thinking about things like pension plans. And even to a lesser degree, they're not necessarily focused on some of the traditional benefit offerings that might have been uh, really, really important to some of us. They want progression. They want opportunity. They want to be developed. And then in their own way, they want to say, hey, I'm off to the next adventure. And what that might look like is three to five years maximum that you hire someone in and they come in and do work, and then they ultimately go seek a different opportunity. Sometimes that opportunity might exist within your own four walls, but sometimes it may not. And so we've had to spend um, a lot of time educating our leadership teams around their expectations because many of them have grown up in a different generation and mindset. And so, the expectation is, hey, you come in, you work your way up from the bottom, you pay your dues, and if things work out well, maybe every five to seven years, there's a promotional opportunity, and you just keep at it, and you keep your head down. But what we've seen is that that's just not the reality of our newer workforce. And for us at Harris Health, as of this year, we know that probably about 58% of our workforce is now millennial and Gen Z, 
and the proportion of new hires that come in every month is even greater than that for those populations. And so we had to make a decision. Do we want to continue to say they need to adjust to what we do? Or do we openly say maybe we need to do the adjusting because the talent has opportunity to go elsewhere? And so fortunately, we have made that determination and it hasn't been easy. Uh, a lot of our leaders are just not as comfortable knowing that they're going to spend a lot of time to develop up new talent. And yet that talent may leave because no one wants to think that they failed or that they have spent a lot of time helping someone to grow and develop only to see them then go elsewhere. So even from a perspective of having people transfer internally into other areas is not always one that we can sell because people feel as if that was time spent and it didn't benefit them. Um, so so we're, we're working to continue to educate um, our leaders that, hey, the talent should move no one owns the talent. It should be able to move freely throughout the organization. Uh, and I'll go back to the notion of creating an employable workforce. And by that meaning, the better we train and develop our workforce, the more mobile they are, both within the organization and outside, but they're being productive. And if they're being productive, then we are probably fulfilling our mission, which is certainly to provide high-end healthcare for those most in need uh, in our community. And so the drawback is that they, they may leave. But as you know, one of the sayings go, it's better that we train them and they have the opportunity to leave than we not train them and they stick around. And, yeah. uh, and so what we really, you know, we, we want to say, if we train someone up and we develop them, give them opportunities, they'll probably be fairly productive. And as they leave, they'll have good things to say. They will probably give good referrals for us as an um, employer of choice. And, and that then makes it a little bit easier for us to attract new talent as we go. And so it's not always the easiest argument or uh, case to make, but we think it's the right one. And so we're going to continue to push that narrative. And I think most of the numbers would bear out that that's probably the right approach. I love that. And I, from personal experience, I cannot agree more with that. And that's why I so reflected also how, how current and former employees are leaving um, on Glassdoor, their own impressions and whatnot, scoring how overall organization is viewed. A lot of things that actually many actually make judgment and decision based what they see, right? And then also visibility of leaders. The fact that you're also making yourself visible, that is so refreshing, not only going into conferences, but also making um, appearances and also showing your own personal take on many uh, very sensitive subjects that a lot of organizations, leaders are trying to kind of sort it out just in the, in the private. And reality is more we have these dialogues, I feel like as a result, better, smarter choices, decisions will be made and also include uh, these different drivers that are important for different generation. And as a result, um, result speaks to itself. <laughs> uh, do you yeah. mind closing and closing share um, 
what obviously you carved amazing trajectory for yourself of consistent success as a leader and great legacy uh, in your most recent role, but in previous roles as well. But when you look at everything, Gary, what would you like to be known and remember for? What would you like to carve at this time, um, at this chapter of your life, your legacy? Oh, wow. Now my brain's got to wake up. I've got to definitely think. Um, great question. Um, I, I, I think, honestly, it goes back to what I'm most passionate about, which is uh, people and learning. And so I would say what really not only gets me up in the morning and gets me to continue to go at it is really being able to work closely with my team and others and seeing the growth, seeing the development, seeing the look on someone's face when they just got recognized for amazing work, being able to offer a hand to ensure that someone is going to make that next step in progression in their career. And I think I'd like to be known as someone who really cared about that, someone who was willing to invest heavily in others to ensure that they had opportunities to grow. And thinking about myself as a leader that understands that when I'm doing my own job, it's often just about me. But when I'm really doing the right job, it's about them. And trying to take that time to really say, okay, I need to be focusing on what can I do to help them. So I talk about that when I interview people for vacancies. I talk to my teams about that regularly in terms of the things that they focus on. But it's always looking outward to see what can I do to help this person be more successful today? And if they're being successful, then maybe I'm doing something right. And I think that's certainly something that I would I would hope people would remember me by at some point. That is phenomenal. I'm sure they already do because you will not have results that you do. And always says that being head of the learning and development and having such amazing uh, results, not only from wellness programs, but also in terms of retention, in terms of career pathing, uh, and a mindset that you obviously are carving so much, not only for Harris Health System, but truly showing what's possible from human resource and, and how it's important to transform um, uh, people component to it and, and, and make a huge shift. So for everybody that wanna get in touch with you or wanted to learn more about um, your current work or um, what Harris Health System is doing, or where would you like them to go? And, and where, where would you like them to do to check out? Well, you know, we, we've got a lot of the normal channels. Uh, if you want to check out what uh, great work that we are doing down here in Houston, you know, feel free to visit our website, which is harrishealth.org. That tells you all about a lot of the great work that we are doing. We also have lots of other social media channels that we are participating in that would give you an idea of things. And then we've got a couple of podcasts on our own um, that are out there on most of these subscription channels. Um, there's a new one that um, we just launched last week. It's called Chat with the Chief. And this is uh, 
a podcast that yours truly actually hosts uh, with our president and CEO, um, Dr. Eshmael Porsa. And so we, we talk probably every couple of months about a lot of the high-level issues which are uh, impacting us uh, here at Harris Health. We talk a lot about, you know, his role, some of the things that he's really working hard at. And, and, and then some of it is just casual chat to really allow our listeners to get to know him a little bit more in detail as a leader and as a person. And then we also have um, uh, a podcast that allows others to just hear from a lot of our other system-wide leaders on a biweekly basis called uh, the Harris Health Heartbeat. And that's also out there. So these things are, are, are available. Certainly uh, check us out. If you're in Houston, certainly you can come by and visit. But, uh, but we're here and we're here to serve and make sure that those who are most in need uh, have a place to go for their healthcare services. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us a positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.